Hello, this is Brian McCormick welcoming you to another edition of the Leadership Podcast Series from the Resource for Leaders, leadernetwork.org. Our National Leader of the Month is Deborah Fries. Debbie is co-president of the Burkana Institute, a nonprofit leadership organization. The Burkana Institute connects and supports pioneering leaders around the world who strengthen their communities by working with the wisdom and wealth already present there. She co-founded the Burkana Exchange. At the Burkana Exchange, leadership learning centers have local initiatives that are developing the capacity to solve pressing problems such as community health, ecological sustainability, and economic self-reliance by acting locally, connecting regionally, and learning translocally. Previous to her work at Burkana, Debbie was a partner and founding member of Zephyr, an internet services firm. She currently serves as a working board member of the Mastery Foundation, a nonprofit organization committed to peace and reconciliation in such divided communities as Northern Ireland and Israel. Debbie has an MBA from the Harvard Business School and a bachelor's degree from Amherst College. Deborah Fries and I spoke about her life experiences and the leadership lessons she has discerned from them. Specifically, she offers advice in this podcast for leaders and dispels some common leadership myths. Her background and worldwide network have exposed her to ideas beyond the West and make her a terrific authority on leadership. And now, we begin the podcast with National Leader of the Month, Deborah Freeze. Is there a favorite quotation that you can think of? Yes. <laughs> this one has guided me in almost all of my work since I joined Burkana, which is start anywhere, follow it everywhere. And it was something that came from Meg Wheatley and Myron Kellner Rogers. I think it was Myron who said it. And it's the idea um, of really working actively with emergence. You don't have to have the answers now. You have to start with what's in front of you, and then you have to actively notice where it's leading you and follow it. So that has been a huge guide to me in making choices about where to put our energy and our efforts. Terrific. I like that one. How about a favorite book? Well, if it's any book in any context, my absolute all-time favorite book is um, East of Eden by John Steinbeck, which I read as a teenager, and um, it formed a philosophy of life for me at the time, and it's, it's sort of the book that I recommend to all the people who ask me. Terrific. How about any other books that you would recommend um, specifically for aspiring leaders? Well, um, it might be a little cliche, but definitely Meg Wheatley's Leadership and the New Science, especially the revised edition, which takes a look at understanding natural disasters as well as terrorism. So I think that that's, that's one that has been very, very influential for me. I think there's another one that, that's not about leadership, but I think is really about um, the call for action in the world, which is a book called The Long Emergency. It just really lays out some of the systemic 
level crises that are present in our world, starting with, with peak oil, but also impacting food, environment, et cetera, and just, just really increasing our awareness about where we might need to take action. Great. Next one or two, depending on how you would take them, I'm wondering about your current personal passion and or your dream. My personal passion today is skiing, but putting that <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, there's a there's a, a theme that we've been working with very actively in the Burkana Exchange and we, we say it's about creating the worlds we want today. Okay. And I would say that that's and maybe that's a bit more abstract than you had in mind, but that that is that is the theme of my passion right now, which is how do we just go out there and create the world that we want, create the food systems that we want, create the quality of relationships that we want in our homes and in our neighborhoods, create um, a better way of disposing of or not even creating waste in the first place, and and recognizing that there's a whole lot of systems out there that aren't creating the world that we want, and we sometimes blame political systems or economic systems or whatever it may be, you know, materialist or multinational systems, but instead of looking at what's not working, it's just... This, this passion around the creative act. How do I just simply start doing? It's a lot like the start anywhere, follow it everywhere quote. How do I just simply, where I am in the environment that I have some influence over, create the world the way I wish it to be? Great. How about experiences that have been vital to your development? Oh, God, there's so many. <laughs> um <laughs> There's some okay. So on a on a macro level, um, I used to be a dot com entrepreneur from 1998 to 2001. Okay. And had um, I think a really uh, formative experience being inside what was essentially a, a, a successful business and looking at what. Um, quote-unquote, winning the game really looks like, feels like, and what results it has, and getting very, very disillusioned with that. And and, and having this um, clarity that the way our sort of business game is designed, which fundamentally rewards short-term behavior, short-term gains, and doesn't have as much concern as it needs to for the long-term impact, um, that was a very impactful experience for me in um, kind of opening my eyes to how the systems that we're in are designed to create good or not so good impacts on each other. And so that would be one experience that was very um, awakening and disillusioning that ca- caused me to do what we call in, in, in my community, walk out of that system, that, that that system is not designed to produce the results that make our communities healthy and resilient. And um, and then in encounters with some of the leaders I work with around the globe, doing what we call walking on to create the new, to create a different experiment, to create, um, to engage in the world in a way that does produce the results that we wish for, such as creating healthy and resilient communities, which is sort of the major theme of our work. Um, and, and some of that was very personal, and, and you know this name, but going and being at Kofunda Learning Village with Marianne Knut and meeting a, a woman named Anna Marunda, who um, was a very poor woman from a, a village who 
had a, a very intense encounter for me when, when she and I were sitting down and having a conversation. And she said to me, you know, until I take, came to Kafunda, I thought that I had, I was very poor and I had nothing to offer. And you have so much education and so many material goods, but and she, you know, sort of slowed down and she looked me in the eye and she said, you have so much that you desperately need to learn from me. Wow. And and it was just this this moment of like yeah like she you know there's so much wisdom that she holds about relationship to family to community to land and and to a sense of the whole that a lot of us in this country have lost and so those, those sort of back to back of the experience of being in this fast paced business environment and the experience of being in this moment with this very this woman that many of us would say, oh, this very simple woman who, to me, was one of the most complex and wise women I've ever met, um, those would be two pretty intense, formative experiences. Sure. Oh, terrific example. What about the place in the world you most like to visit? Right now, it's definitely still Zimbabwe. (laughs) It's um, Kufunda Learning Village. and, And the family relationships that I feel that I've built there and, and, you know, people are like, wait a minute, you want to go to Zimbabwe in these times? And one of the things that I think is so important about it is, you know, we talk a lot, a lot of people here in this country are talking about, you know, this impending systems collapse, whether that's the collapse of the dollar, or the collapse of our oil economy, or whatever, you know, the, the, the already ongoing collapse in our education systems. And one of the things that's um, very powerful about being in Zimbabwe is you essentially have a place where nearly all of the systems um, have already collapsed. Currency has collapsed. Um, food systems have collapsed. Health systems are, are not working. And in the midst of all of that chaos, people are stepping forward and creating unbelievably um, creative solutions to being in relationship and being healthy with each other. And so when I go there and I think about all the things that we look at in our country that we say we don't have the right resources and we don't have the right power and we don't have the right this and we don't have the right that, and I look at a a place like Zimbabwe where so much really has fallen apart and yet they're creating so much more with so much less, um, it keeps you real and it it creates ways of seeing possibility at home that I can't otherwise see. Sure. Who would be your most admired leaders? There's a lot of them. Right now, and maybe it's a little fresh because I just have been spending time with him, um, Manish Jain, who is the founder, co-founder of an organization called Shikshantar in India. Okay. Uh, and it's a learning center that is really engaging in some very profound experiments with how to, um, as they call it, create our own path. This, this notion that... Um, the world is what he calls the ready-made world. Like everything is already prepackaged. Education is prepackaged. Food is prepackaged. How do we create our own paths? And there's a, a level of integrity that they are all in. I think there's about 30 of them that are at Shikshantar in this experiment of really, you know, creating their own path by walking it, as they as they call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Manish's level of commitment to that vision and um, how how he inspires so many people to be in that with him um, is something I really admire. Sure. 
What about the advice that you would give to aspiring leaders? Either those who are not yet leading and want to lead or those who are leading but want to lead in a better way. I have a definition of, of leader that is, is rather simple, which is a leader is anyone who chooses to step forward and take action. Love that definition. Um, so, so I think that, I think that, you know, uh, there's, there kind of isn't such thing as an aspiring leader to me. It's like, you know, either you're stepping forward and taking action and that is leadership or you're holding back and you're not engaging. And if, well, and I suppose somebody who's holding back and not engaging but yearns to, I would say start anywhere and follow it everywhere. Sure. Um, and, and in terms of improving one's leadership, I think there's a lot of, of work to be done around um, internal work about finding your own center and being listen being able to listen to your own intuition and and to hear the call that has you see what to do next. So there's some work to be done in getting quiet um and being able to uh really observe what's going on outside in the world and what's going on inside and where is there a resonance where is something calling you to action how do you pay attention to that i think that the the work of leadership really begins with that capacity internally to um, pay attention and to listen to the world and to notice when you're being called forth can you talk a little bit about for the average american who maybe you use the word yearn, but maybe would have the desire to do that, but wouldn't necessarily even know how to step back and listen. Are there any strategies that maybe you could offer helping to you know, do that soul searching or you know, kind of finding out what that path is? Any strategies you could talk about at all for that? I, there's so um, there's so many and diverse ways um, for people to kind of engage in their own internal growth, and and some of those can be meditation, mm-hmm. and some of those can be um, other kinds of practices. You know, yoga practice. It can be for some people. I'm I'm not religious, but for some people, it may be a religion. It could be anything that is about a daily practice, a commitment to oneself to, you know, let go of all that noise out there, even if it's like, you know, some rhythm of, you know, taking five minutes every morning to just be quiet. And, yeah. and you know, I would, would not be a person who would um, be able to sort of say, this. I, I recommend this path versus that path. I mean, it's just such a personal decision. But I think it's not by coincidence that so many more people are engaging in various forms of reflection and meditation and silence at this time as the world gets louder and louder. And I think that people, you know, need to find their own journey through that um, and just experiment, ask, ask friends, experiment, ask colleagues, and see what, what feels right. Sure. I know with your definition of leadership, you know, maybe in different times, many of us are, are leaders. If you had to identify maybe some of the traits that are really important, when we're we find ourselves in that leadership role or we're getting actively involved, uh, could you talk about any of the traits that you think are important when we find ourselves in a leadership type role where we're actively involved? Yeah, I think that um, this this is also going to be quite familiar sounding, but I think that the capacity to really listen both to 
the other people around you and to yourself and to sort of a, the larger picture, whether that's, you know, n- nature or just the, the, the larger system that you're looking at, just that, that capacity to really pay attention to the full complexity of the picture of the situation that you're in. And, and so one is that, that capacity to observe, to listen, to absorb. And the second is the capacity to notice and name the patterns that, are, that you're seeing. So that when you're taking in all of this information and when you can name a pattern, when you can name, you know, what's going on here is this. This is really what's happening among all of us. Um, even that, that act of naming, of noticing and naming a pattern that's present creates a, a new possibility for action. Um, and so I would say it's the, the listening, the reflecting, and the naming. Uh, that's a unique response as far as past responses to that question especially the second half the noticing and the naming the patterns I I think that's uh, very true and well put Mm. we do we do a lot of work around systems change and and we think that that it's sort of a very very complex process to act on but sort of simple one to describe which is you name the pattern you connect people around it you nourish each other with the wisdom and the resources and the relationships that we all need, and then you illuminate that story to others so they can be invited in to join. Mm. So the name, name, connect, nourish, illuminate is sort of the root um, process that we work with at Burkana. And, and that naming piece is, um, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't happen without the naming. Sure. In the different organizations and groups, that you are you know, connected into and run across and observe, are there any things that you have witnessed that either are encouraging leaders or conversely kind of stifling and keeping people from stepping up and, and becoming leaders? Uh, any examples that you can think of either way that, you know, hey, this is a good thing, this helps get people involved and, and get them leading or, or kind of keeps that from happening? Well, the one that the one that keeps it from happening is sort of the myth of the heroic leader, um, the leader who comes in to save the day. And it's not that that's not useful in some contexts. You know, there are plenty of contexts, particularly crises, where the heroic leader who comes in and um, you know commands is necessary. So I wouldn't say that that's um, unhelpful in all situations. But when you're talking about um, organizational or community change, the heroic leader can disempower people who have far more to contribute, including, you know, you're going to get your best ideas when you have a diversity of perspective coming in. So um, the heroic leader, when when he or she steps in and takes over, can wipe out that diversity and therefore wipe out that creativity that otherwise would be present. Sure. Okay. Anything on the the good side at all? Uh, yeah, I think that would be mostly what we sort of already talked about in terms okay. of the capacity to sort of listen and reflect or what some people refer to as um, servant leadership. Sure. As opposed to the, the, the opposite of the heroic leader is the servant leader, the one whose role is to serve all those who are around him or her. Is there, is there ever a place for that heroic leader? 
Yeah, I think there is. Like like what, what I was saying about being in, in crisis. Um, or being in a, a point, you know, there's long, long-term crises where it wouldn't necessarily be the way, but in, in a given moment um, where someone needs to sort of call the attention together and choose the path and get people moving and acting on that, absolutely there's a role for someone to step forward and take charge and give people the confidence um, and the comfort that there's, there's somebody at the helm. Sure. Most of our it, most of our challenges, however, are not those kinds of crises. We, I think, we um, there's a collusion of people who are so-called followers in yielding their own uh, capacity to lead to a heroic leader because it's comfortable. And there are many situations where we aren't in crisis and we act as if we are, and we yield, we give up our own capacity to be creative and to step forward. So I think that absolutely there are scenarios where, you know, that kind of leadership is critical and probably far fewer than we create. Sure. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. You've talked about a, a couple bits of wisdom that have been important in your life. And I'm wondering, are any other important pieces of advice that you've been given that you think would be useful for others? Mm-hmm. I've been given so much. I've got to see what uh, which one for me right now. Um, I'll tell you what. Another way of going about that would be, even if it's a, a piece of advice you've been given that you think is really not good advice, simply because I think that would expose the opposite being true. So. If, if you can think of any bad advice you've been given, I, you know, not, I like to focus on the positive and not the negative, but I think that might be worthwhile as well. Um, I'm not sure. Well, okay, I, I do know, certainly, I'm not sure if this is about leadership or not, but I do know that in our work where we're, we're very, very spread out in many, many different places, and a lot of people have given me feedback like, you need to focus, and you need to stick with it, and um, stay the course, and, you know, fulfill your commitment over five years, or make your five-year plan. And that's really counter to the notion of working with emergence, from the underlying assumption of, you know, good leaders make five-year, you know, have a vision for five, their five- or ten-year plan, works with an assumption that the world is actually stable and predictable. Oh, and sure. um, the notion of working with emergence, which is I declare my intention and I act on that intention, but the world is not stable and predictable. It's very chaotic. It's very unknown. And so my skill as a leader has to be agility and adaptability, not sticking with the plan. Um, and that's going to allow me to keep sort of receiving new data from, from the world as it shifts and changes and being able to adapt and redirect and change course. And so sometimes I think the feedback or the advice you get is you shouldn't be changing course so much. And it's like, well, the reality is the world is constantly in motion. And if we're not changing course, we are going to get thrown off balance. Wow. I, I, think, I think that's very true. Well said. This is actually my favorite question, and, and quite frankly, it's the most most difficult one to answer because I don't think we normally sit around thinking about this. At least most people don't. But um, 
in my opinion, we all have kind of a story. So the the question would be, um, what is yours? Is there a story about you that would encapsulate either what you're all about or maybe a part of what you're about? So, uh, you know, something, an experience that happened to you and, and, you know, that kind of stands for what you believe or something you witnessed in your life or, you know, a, a story you you heard someone else tell and, and you just really thought that that, whether it necessarily is about leadership, uh, it doesn't need to be about leadership, any sort of story that you think just has a, a, a great meaning, a great, uh, a great lesson for people? Well, <laughs> this is kind of interesting. That, so this takes me back to East of Eden, the okay. book by John Steinbeck. Sure. And um, the, the, the piece that captured me then was there's this dialogue in the book around um, this Hebrew word, which is Timsho. And there's this dialogue between the protagonist, Adam, and his Chinese cook, Lee, who goes off to study with other Chinese um, servants in California back around the gold rush. Um, I think that was the timing. I don't, I'm not sure. But um, they, they decide to study Hebrew because they want to understand the word in the Bible that's translated as thou shalt, the command, thou shalt, thou must. Sure. And, they, and, and the Hebrew word is timshul. And they learn after 20 years of studying Hebrew that there's some interpretations that are thou shalt, and there are other interpretations that are thou must, and there are other interpretations that are thou dost, doest. And what they learn is, no, no, you know what? The real interpretation of that word is thou mayest. Like, God never said, he never created an order. It was always a choice. There is no particular truth. This is the story in East of Eden. Hmm. And that's what I would put down for me is the, the sort of essence of who I am was this discovery that thou mayest. There's no right answer. There's no right way. It's always an interpretation, and it's always a choice. And so the, um, the, what's been guiding me in my life has been this notion of you can't get it wrong. You just try. You just play. You just do it, and you keep looking at that, and that choice is always available. Hmm. Well said. With your own leadership, can you talk a little bit about times when it's been maybe challenged or tested and, and how you responded, maybe in a way that you really thought was good or maybe in a way that you thought wasn't so good and you learned something from it? I mean, you've mentioned, you know, an experience at Kafunda and also your experience um, in the, the, I guess you'd call it corporate world uh, with the, the startup. Can you... Draw any experience from when your leadership was tested? I think it's been most recently in, in our work um, internationally in the Burkhan Exchange. You know, I have, a, I have a background in business and in entrepreneurship, and that has a lot of, um, you know, very creative and visionary and high-speed leadership in it. And I tend to myself work at a pretty fast pace. And... Um, it's it sort of gets us back to the heroic leader stuff. When you're when you're very entrepreneurial and you're very creative, you might be running at a pace that others aren't traveling at. And and certainly in our in the work of building community, 
Um, it's not about the speed at which you get it done. And that's a very, very hard lesson for me as an American <laughs> from a business context to learn, that going slow is sometimes the best way to create a success. And I sort of feel like I, I get that lesson in my face over and over and over again, and I still haven't quite absorbed it, that that getting it done quickly um, can be very damaging to relationship. It can also exclude um, many voices and many perspectives that need to be part of creating the solution. And certainly as we engage internationally, you know, between the United States and whether that's, um, you know, Zimbabwe or Brazil or Mexico or India, um, we have different natural paces and rhythms in different cultures. And if we keep driving at the pace of of the North or at the pace of the United States, um, we're not going to create healthy relationships. Sure. You've talked about adaptability and the importance of responding to the changing circumstances that the world offers us. Can you talk a little bit about, at least at this point, what what's up next for you as far as where you're going from here and with your life and your leadership? I think it becomes very um, personal, which is I've been, you know, running this uh, Burkhan Exchange for five years now, four years really, and um, it's been out working in the world. And one of the questions that keeps coming back to me from the community has been, what are you doing at home? What is your local work? And, you know, I'm mostly away from home in this work. Um, So I think what's next is, if, what, what do I believe about what the world needs now? How do I want to create the world that I wish for? What am I doing at home? What am I doing about, you know, sustainable food? And, and what am I doing about my own waste? And what am I doing about the fact that I live in an apartment building and I don't know my neighbors? And so I feel that what's um, next for me is really looking into my own patterns and practices right at home. Sure. Anything else you can think of that would be worthwhile to mention in a feature about you, yourself, or about leadership in general? Uh, No, I think we've covered a lot of territory. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great question. Well, one of the things I've enjoyed about your responses is that they've been consistent in, in the sense of, certain themes and messages yeah. have continued to come through <laughs> which which yeah. I think is very good because it shows your conviction and it also shows that you know you don't you're not giving me canned responses you know this is No maybe of, it was good that I didn't see the question yeah, you know Yeah definitely <laughs> I mean it, it kind of demonstrates that this is who you are and this is is what you believe so I I think that's been great um so I, I appreciate that and I, You've got a lot of wisdom and appreciate you sharing that in your responses. That concludes the podcast with National Leader of the Month, Deborah Fries. Come back next month for another edition of the Leadership Podcast Series from LeaderNetwork.org.